Marketing. I mean, t- tell me what your, your thoughts are on that in the sense that m- without marketing, obviously you're dead in the water because marketing equals visibility, equals all of that. that. So we, if, if a business owner is saying or a CEO is going, yeah, marketing doesn't work, that's a pretty flawed mentality, right? So I'm about to share a perspective that when most people hear this initially are going to react negatively and and you're going to think that I'm wrong. I challenge you to move past that initial feeling and actually listen logically to what I'm about to say. My belief, and this has just come to me recently, is that the overall function of marketing is broken. And the reason is because over time, we've just jammed more and more things into the bucket of marketing that used to just be product strategy, customer insights, brand. And then in 2010, we were like, oh, marketing needs to be revenue accountable. Let's throw all of this like pre-sales or sales-oriented activities and call it demand gen. And let's have that in the marketing team because they use email and, and Facebook ads to do it. So it must be marketing, right? And then we got this like, you know, all this technology craze. And now we got marketing operations in here. And what you have is you have a group of functions that all have competing priorities and different needs of autonomy inside of the company. And so what I'm suggesting is that companies consider what I'm doing at my company right now, which is breaking marketing, as you know it today, into three distinct functions with three distinct leaders that report into the CEO. The first role is going to be what I call product strategy and innovation. Inside of that would be things like product marketing, PR, category design, customer insights, that type of the strategic work, and you have people focused on that. Then you have another team called RevOps that runs all of the data and tools. Over time, we've tried to take RevOps and make it a holistic function that thinks about strategy and enablement and data and tools and all this different stuff. When you look at how the function is divided between internally focused and efficiency focused versus externally focused to customers and effectiveness focused, this function needs to be focused on efficiency and internal focus. So I suggest that role be limited to data and tools. All of the things that we want RevOps to do, in addition to more things, fall into a new function that I'm calling revenue R&D. Revenue R&D is the scientific process of advancing net new revenue programs from a concept into fully integrated into your company, delivering millions of dollars in pipeline using the scientific method and standardized data. Um, The whole goal here is to have a pipeline of innovation, just like you have for your product, you have pipeline of innovation for your revenue system. And so this, this shorter range oriented effectiveness function with a lot of autonomy is able to innovate in a different way than your demand gen team or your RevOps team are because of the organizational structure that you put it in. This team is going to be running net new experiments. They're going to be evaluating programs that are running like your SDR outbound program, like your brand plays or your PR. This is the command center that drives your overall go-to-market strategy to deliver shorter range things. So they're not out here saying who's your ICP or what products should we build. They're saying, what are the best opportunities for us to drive revenue both now and in the next 12 months? And all of the, the strategic f- parts of RevOps 
the analytics, how are we going to decide on our attribution models and how we do it, how, what KPIs are we going to report and how are they going to be measured, what is the infrastructure that we need in our business to make good decisions, and all of that strategic work falls into the revenue R&D function. And so I think that companies should really consider that that three-tiered split. It's what I'm doing at my company right now, and I look forward to sharing a lot more about it. So you have shifted the focus of your show previously, Stay at Demand Gen, now Revenue Vitals, to a more holistic view of revenue. So I've got a hot take on this one. The revenue process doesn't need R&D. Love the take. Love the take. So if you think about what companies do and how they, dis- how they structure and decide, how am I going to run marketing programs? Smart people look at it and say, I'm doing portfolio management. I got some long-term bets. I got some short-term bets. Not every bet is going to play out. I know that there's certain things that need to start 12 months from now if we're going to have them make the impact that we need in next year when we launch our category and people are starting to plan and figure out what are the, what are the elements that I'm going to put in place. People are already doing some level of revenue R&D subconsciously because it makes total sense. And they're just doing it without a structure, without a proper way to measure, without a proper way to track programs, without a proper way to understand exactly when programs move or how to categorize them. We've provided all that infrastructure of the stages and how they work. We provided all the infrastructure on how do you measure certain programs? How do you set your data up in a standardized way so that when you compare your data against someone else's, you can know that you're both comparing apples to apples? Point blank, like there's there's nothing more that a revenue team needs than doing this. If you think about what boards are looking for and what CMOs are trying and CROs are trying to show to boards, one of the biggest things is they're trying to show the board that they're ahead of the curve, that they're innovating, that they're trying new things. But then the infrastructure that they put inside of their company directly prevents people from being creative, from trying new things and innovating. And so when a company wants to do some level of R&D, typically on the product, like you got your entire company right here, your machine, and you're like, okay, we're going to go and build a new product. They put the R&D function outside of the company in a different office with a small team for a reason. It's because when you bring the R&D into the operational complexities of the business, that the short term is going to prevail over the long term, and that the current fires are going to prevail over the the other like forward-looking things. And so companies don't have this function. They put, they try, they say, okay, we're going to spend 10% of our experimentation budget. They put it inside of OPEX. They trap it, track it as working dollars. And that's, it's not an experimentation budget if you're tracking the results against working dollars, because then you push people to do things that they think are going to work, or at least think are going to impede the measurement. And so I think our organization sits at a really interesting seat where we can actually be that R&D function outside, not constrained or bogged down by all the stuff that's happening in the day to day and actually think about what's going to what's going to impact the business in nine months in 18 months how are we like thinking about way longer term in the future and the reality is that just like a majority of companies don't think that way and when you think about how how your business is going to scale and grow over the next 10 years it's going to be driven through product and marketing like if you're not having these level of investments to figure things out and you think that you're going to scale your company just like how Salesforce scaled their company with a reverse sales headcount model. I think that you you have just completely missed the boat on how people buy and discover products today. So we'll see. I love when people sort of like, I get the same amount of pushback on self-reported attribution, on standardizing pipeline so that it makes sense, not just arbitrarily saying because we booked a meeting, that's what we call pipeline. 
I take pushback on, you know, on whether companies should run lead gen or not. I take pushback on all my ideas initially. So like, I'm not concerned by this. Companies resist basically anything that's new or different. And so I actually treat it as a good sign. If people aren't like, if people aren't pushing back on a concept, that means that we're, we're not pushing it enough. Yeah, you're too late. We need to actually treat this whole process like a product. Is that how you're thinking about it, Ravina, already? Or like, how do, how do I like, like internalize this? So the, the way that you're communicating and suggesting, I think, is way too micro. And we should be looking at this more in the macro. So like, sure, sprints could be an effective tactic, but we need to zoom out and look at it at a higher level. There's a couple of key things that I want to want to hit on here. The first one is how companies justify their investments in product development. What do they do? They get customer insights. They decide yep. how we're going to act on those insights. They put together a business case. They they get it approved to go through and do it. And then they work through a development process about how to build it. And they then when knowing that the first month they build it, they're going to spend $80,000 on engineers and they're not going to generate any revenue. And that's going to happen for three, six, nine, 12 months for big features. And they know that they're doing it because the ROI in the future will pay back the cost of the development. That's how yep. they do product development. Now, what happens when you do it for revenue programs? Day one, you, you decide to launch your podcast. You decide to run a Google ad. Day one, where's the ROI? This is in working dollars. It's being scrutinized against the results that we generate this month. And it kills and destroys innovation. If you did this in a different way, and you use the revenue R&D framework, go out, get customer insights. Damn, what we're finding out is that all of our customers are finding out about, about how to do this type of technology from these three key people. These three key people are speaking at conferences, they're talking on podcasts, and they're doing things like that. Let's put together a monthly roundtable with these three people where we bring them on and we do a live event and it happens once a month and that becomes a podcast and video content and things like that. And we'll, and that will be the experiment and it's going to cost us in the sponsorships and everything like that. It'll cost us $25,000 a month. So after six months, we've invested $150,000 and maybe in month zero, zero dollars. Zero dollars in pipeline. Month two, zero dollars in pipeline. Month three, a hundred k attributed to the podcast. You know, month four, two hundred k attributed to our LinkedIn promotion of that. You know, month five, three hundred. Month six, four hundred. So all of a sudden, you've done six months of work. You've seen increasing results. You've spent one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and you've generated a million dollars in pipeline. Where if you use a standardized definition of pipeline, you'll know that you're going to win at least twenty five percent of that, or two two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And then all of a sudden you can say, wow, we just spent $150,000 and it's only been six months and we're already at a positive ROI. Our product never does that. Yeah. And, I, I and, think this is great. Yeah. So I think that people really need to start changing and that's why it's split between a revenue R&D team and a revenue yep. team. Um, and so active programs are, are being run across all different departments of the organization. And these experimentation oh. things are then running in okay, revenue so R&D. Okay, this is an incubation team inside of the revenue team. Okay. Chris, what is the surest way David can take down Goliath in B2B in 2023? By understanding your customers far better than they do, by focusing your target customer to a term called super consumers. So if you take your TAM and you actually break it down to like this top 10%, not based on ACV, but based on the top 10% of people that are going to be evangelists, that are going to promote the category, they're going to drive 
tons of word of mouth and are going to be most successful. You find that target and you go right in on that target and you do all the things related to dark social marketing that a big Goliath won't do because they still think that the MQL model is the way to measure the success. And then obviously you have to have a great team. You have to have a great product. I think those are kind of like table stakes if we're having this conversation. And so dark social, targeting super consumers, understanding your super consumers far better than anybody else. I think those are the three things that drive the most growth. So I got a couple of messages from uh, friends in the SEO world and they were like, you have to ask Chris, like, what's the beef with SEO? What's the beef with SEO? I love I loved SEO. I was like, I was, I argue one of the strongest SEO marketers from 2013 to 2015. I built, I built my first company off of Amazon search ads and Amazon SEO. I was the biggest proponent of SEO ever. And then in 2015, I saw that it wasn't that SEO wasn't working, but hey, all these people are using Facebook and I can deliver them content or ads for a half a cent per person. I can get customers for way cheaper by using Facebook and Instagram, organic or paid, than I am paying $7 a click for an Amazon search ad. And then I just continued to follow that track and then it was it was Facebook ads and then it was Instagram ads and then it was LinkedIn and then it was a podcast and then it was events and then it's community and then it's TikTok and all these things out here that I just said I've been doing for the past seven years with far better ROI than SEO and SEM. It literally comes down to if you are a small, if you're a, it doesn't matter what size of the company, if you're a company with limited resources, every company is, what are the things that you're going to prioritize to do that are going to drive the highest ROI and the longest term competitive advantage? And it's just not, it's just not SEO. SEO is not even in the top five anymore. I don't know what to say. If you, if you're selling a commodity product inside of an existing category and you want to fight over that demand, like you're selling sneakers and you want to go and compete in search against Nike and all the other brands, then be my guest. If you're competing in the CRM category and and you got a new CRM and you're a half a million ARR and you want to go compete in SEO against all those companies for, for the term CRM and pay $880 a click and things like that, be my guest. It's a losing game. And so uh, I'm not saying that SEO doesn't work. I'm not saying that SEO is dead. I'm, I'm illuminating two people. There is a massive human behavior shift that's been happening. I've watched it happen since 2015. It continues to accelerate. And the people that are still doing SEO just basically show themselves that they are not following what customers are doing. They're a search marketer. They're not a, they're not a customer-focused marketer because if you were... And you under and you talked to customers and you surveyed them and you researched them and you understood what their preferences were, you would be deprioritizing search. So you mentioned alignment. I'm curious. Um, and what do you see coming in the next couple of years? You know, clearly we talk about revenue being a team sport where these teams do work better together. And to your point, marketing starting to be accountable to numbers and actually bringing close one deals to the finish line, right? So what are what are some of the things that you see getting in the way? I know you've touched before on measurement being one of the things that gets in the way of alignment. Yeah, I, th- I think this all comes down to measurement and mindset. On the, on the measurement side, the things that mo- work most effectively in marketing today are not getting properly attributed. And because sales sits lower funnel in a more transactional role, they te- it tends to be much easier to measure those touch points. That's one thing, but I think it's actually way more high level. I think that at a high level, the executives in the organization, including the CEO, 
don't have alignment on what are we trying to do? What is the actual, what are the actual objectives? And then you got the sales leader that's expecting 5,000 MQLs or vice versa. Most sales leaders actually don't want 5,000 MQLs anymore. And, or the marketing leader wants to deliver 5,000 MQLs because that's what they did at the past five companies and the sales leader doesn't want them or things like that. You just have general misalignment on, are we running a lead gen strategy to do outbound? Are we running a, a like dark social strategy to get buyers that want to buy to infuse sort of like word of mouth and things like that to be, pull people in? Is it some type of blend? How do we, how are we going to measure the team and things like that? But to me, the core realization, and I agree with revenue as a team sport, is that no matter where the buyer converts in or how you measure it, you need both of these things to drive revenue on anything. If you're going to run your outbound model and not have something over the top so that customers know you, it's not going to work as well. I know that your outbound is getting fully attributed and CAC's getting calculated against only sales headcount, but you actually need that other part. When you have when you have things that come through the website, if your if your sales team's running outbound with a link to your website in there, there's an outbound to inbound motion that's real where you need actually need sales in, a, in an assist. And so recognizing that you actually, no matter what go-to-market motion, it's not about credit. Um, most companies look at it as department focused. I think this is a really outdated way of looking at it. So what do we get from marketing? What do we get from sales? What do we get from partner? And if you look at it just from marketing, for instance, they blend all the shit that marketing puts together. So you got demo requests that your sales team wins one out of 12 with con gated content syndication leads that your sales team wins one out of 1,000. And in the measurement, those things are treated the same. The value of those in the measurement is treated the same, which pushes your team to just go and get cheap, shitty leads. And so instead of separating it by department, separating it on how is the buyer entering our pipeline, what we call pipeline sources, I find to be way more logical, removes the emotion of who's getting the credit and actually drives far better planning and strategy because then you can see how many, what buyers are coming to our website and saying, hey, I want to buy now. What happens with them? What is the win rate? What's the ACV? What is the sales velocity of that source? When Because it's surrogate for intent. Buyer says, hey, I want to buy. Odds are they want to buy more than someone you're pulling out of Zoom info or something like that. Um, and so you can use these different ways that people convert as a surrogate for intent. So you have website, you got intent data driven outbound. A lot of companies call that ABM right now. You got cold outbound out of a cold database. You got lead gen programs like content syndication and things like that. You have events, you have partner. Those are like maybe the six core buckets that this could, could fill in. And then you'll see patterns of what is the sales velocity and things like that for each one. And if you do that analysis, one, it splits it up so it's easier to plan. It removes the, did it's marketing or sales do this? And it treats it like a team sport in all of them. And it allows the business to say, you know, our website and our ABM intent data motion are actually the things that are driving high velocity, actual pipeline, have scalability. Let's forget these other things. Maybe, I mean, whatever the example is, let's keep these, let's focus here because these are the places where we want people to convert. Um, and so I think that at a mindset level, try, like having, you have to adopt a new way of looking at things and remove the idea of credit for this to happen because what I just presented to you with the pipeline sources, like a lot of people talk about an all bound approach where like it basically doesn't matter where the buyer converts. And then they treat the exact same pipeline for someone they cold call that they went at 8% versus someone on the website that they went at 40%. I'm presenting effectively just a more granular, more effective approach to all bound, which is by looking at where the buyer is actually converting, which is a surrogate for intent. You just have better planning and visibility to the next level down. It's not about credit or the department, but you have a visibility on where do we want buyers to go? And the data that we see consistently is obviously you're going to get the highest sales velocity for people that say, hey, I want to buy now and come to your website. 
So why aren't revenue teams out there trying to figure out what is driving people to come to our website and say, hey, I want to buy now and then figure out how do we how do we do more of that? Right. And so we've done something super simple on the form where someone says, hey, I want to talk to your sales team right now. They can fill out the form and then they can book a meeting directly with our rep. And on the form, one of the questions is, how did you hear about us? And we get insights of, I heard your CEO talk at this event. Um, we get LinkedIn podcast. We get TikTok a lot. Um, YouTube, very rarely do we get search. It's not yeah. part of our strategy, but very rarely do we get search. And so by getting that insight, then we can say what, and we get a ton of referrals and word of mouth. And so with all that data, we can say, wow, these three or four people out there are sending us five opportunities a month. Mm-hmm. Let's figure out how we can go and partner with them, right? This shit is happening in every company. They're just not measuring it. So they don't know. Um, let's go figure out how we can partner with them. Let's see how we can incentivize them or, wh- or whatever we decide to do. But you need to be able to know what, like, so that's the, ma- that's the big question that everyone asks me. It's like, sure, we want to get more demo requests, but how do we get more of them? Want, step mm-hmm. one, figure out what's driving the ones you currently get. Step two, start doing more of it. <laughs> right. um, and, get, so- and give it enough time. I think that's the big thing about some of these channels is that they don't automatically yield a ton of results, but you have to kind of stick with it for a while to see, like, especially from a podcast perspective and community and things like that. So Mm -hmm. what do you say to our listeners around kind of the human elements of aligning teams and driving change? So my personal opinion, some people will disagree with this, is that I believe that all the quote unquote human stuff that people use are just band-aids to try and put on the issues that happen at the leadership level and the goal level. So instead of fixing the actual issue that our CRO and our CMO aren't aligned on the strategy, instead they say, let's have another meeting with our sales and marketing team every Friday and present metrics and talk about opportunities, which is not a bad activity to do necessarily. But when you're doing it to, as a Band-Aid, instead of solving the real issue, that's when I have uh, challenges with it. Um, and so I think that like, instead of using these sort of like, instead of solving for the symptoms, actually going to the root cause is what I would recommend. And that is about like, there's perfect alignment at my company about what the go-to-market strategy is because I decide it. And the mm-hmm. people that are accountable to executing it all report to me. And so like, uh, I do believe that it's because like when you have, when you delegate these decisions down one level or two leadership levels down, that's when you start to get the misalignment because those people aren't seeing the whole field. Um, and people try and replace this with, oh, let's hire a CRO and put them in charge of marketing and sales and perhaps account management. Let's do, let's do that. And all you do then is you put a leader that doesn't understand marketing in charge of marketing. How ridiculous is that for for that matter to take someone that has never done the function before and put them in charge of it as if you take your CFO and put them in charge of product development. It's not that much different. Um, Like marketing and sales are two different things. And so um, like I, I, I find that tactic to be that we'll look back and say that having a a typically a, a sales leader then become in charge of marketing to create alignment. We'll look back in five years and say that, wow, that was a huge mistake. I think it's really about solving the real issue, getting like, I think this is start and stops executive level only. And all the things that you see underneath are just symptoms of it. So when a director of sales and a BDR manager and a you know marketing director aren't getting along, it's nobody's fault but the executive team really. Mm-hmm. 
So um, let's start. Um, you have stated that dark social is where demand is created and dark funnel is where it is captured. Does that mean that dark social cannot be funneled? Because the way I see it, dark social uh, is a part of the funnel because it belongs to the journey, the discovery journey, right? For the B2B buyer. So how, how does it work? Why dark social doesn't belong to the dark funnel? I, I think that most people have historically followed this path of a funnel because it makes sense and they thought that people bought linearly. Um, but I think in the way that people buy today, things have very much changed where you basically have two states. This company or this person is either in market to buy your solution and actively looking to buy it or they're not. To me, it's more binary than this like trickling down funnel. Um, and when you think about it that way, if you operate based on if a person is in market or not in market, you'll do entirely different things based on that binary result. If they're not in market, you're probably not going to try and get them into a sales conversation and have your salesperson waste 45 minutes pitching someone that doesn't want to buy and sending, doing a bunch of activities like that. And conversely, when they're in market, when they're demonstrating intent, when they're a company is on your website, when they're searching in Google for the category of what you sell, when they are doing things like that, you'd have an entirely different playbook for how you operate there. And so I think the funnel, the historical funnel, doesn't have a lot of clarity in what you should be doing at each point or the historical ways of doing it. Like, oh, somebody's in because they opened three of our emails. They're in the middle of the funnel now. Let's send them a case study. I just don't think that that methodology of linear buying exists anymore. And I think it would be beneficial for marketers and revenue professionals to change their mindset around it. And so when we get into like the idea of dark social versus dark funnel, the real difference is whether the buyer is showing intent in intent channels or not. Dark social, there is not intent there. They're not logging into LinkedIn to buy your SaaS tool. They're not listening to a podcast to talk to your sales team. And so in dark social, there's no intent. And then when they move into in market, they're going to do things that demonstrate intent, like search for your category in Google search, or fill out a request on your website, or reply to an email that your sales team sends them or things like that. And then they become part of this in-market active, active demand. And so th that's the split that I've been trying to help people see is that you can't do, there's something needs to happen before a buyer demonstrates intent. Most of those things today are happening in dark social, which is a new concept for most people because just five or 10 years ago, most of the things that people do today to research, discover, and evaluate products didn't even exist or weren't being used widely by B2B professionals. Super. Yeah. Yeah, it has, yeah, it has sense to me. Um, it's very clear. But there is a new concept that, I've had, that I have gone through uh, your, post, your podcast, actually, which is damning demand. So now you're talking about creating demand, capturing demand, and now there's a new concept, a third one, which is damning demand. That's completely new for me. Yeah. What is that? So, so let's talk about it. So damning demand is when you are cr either creating or participating in a category of stuff which is different or adjacent to things that people are already searching for and then disrupting that buying process when they're looking for something and redirecting them to what you do. So for instance, you thought you wanted X, but what you really want is Y. Here, let me show you why, right? And so 
An easy example here would be that many people come into our website today and we could easily say to them, hey, you thought you were looking for a B2B demand gen agency that gets you leads and meetings, that does what focuses on tactical work, that spends all their time in ad platforms, that doesn't have a lot of C-level involvement, and that's what you think that you want, but what you actually need is a, you need to transform into a revenue R&D function and organization that has high-level C-level involvement because it's critical and important to the growth of the business, that is focused on holistic revenue programs, not just ad channels, so looking at everything like outbound events, partner, mark, you know, not even marketing, whether it comes to the website or lead gen, looking at holistic programs, um, is focused on the strategy and orchestrating the execution, not executing just the tactics. And the, the decision that companies need to make there is which one do you want, right? And so the goal overall of a new category is to for force a choice, not a comparison, just allowing people to choose. So damning demand is taking someone that's looking for something that they think that they need, but you have something new and different and you're going to disrupt that and try and guide them into seeing that what they thought that they want, they actually didn't need and what they actually need is you.